Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, good morning, Transformation. How you doing? Why don't you guys give Jesus a little worship for a second? Come on, let's give Jesus a little round of applause. We thank you, Lord. He's worthy. He's the reason for everything about the season, and uh, I'm so excited to be in the house of God with you. Come on, where are all my overachievers at? And you've already got all your Christmas shopping done. Come on, if you, all my overachievers, look at y'all right there, everybody already, who, who, who has them already wrapped? If you've already, already wrapped? Come on, wrap too? Dang, somebody get their resume. Uh, man, that is awesome. You guys uh, are ahead of the game. Uh, we, I've shopped some. We've shopped some. I don't know what my wife, usually we're bad. We give, we, we go shopping like, I've already bought myself all my own Christmas presents already. Come on, she's pointing at her husband. It's like, this is for me and look what I got me and look what I got me. <laughs> I got stuff for them too. Don't worry about it. Uh, we're in the book of Nehemiah, and today's an amazing day. We had two people give their life to Christ this morning. Come on, in the house. That's awesome. People that we're going to get to spend eternity with saying yes to Jesus. And then online, every week people are giving their hearts to Christ online. And so that's been an amazing thing. Uh, I've got a lot to share with you. I've got to get through, I'm going to get through seven different gates that Nehemiah put back in place. Uh, I did it first service. My wife said I preached too fast. And so um, you're going to have to listen fast today, man. You're going to have to just listen fast. Um, we, we, these, are the, these are the gates that Nehemiah rebuilt when he rebuilt the city. Um, all 10 gates he put in place. And really they're a symbol of what it looks like for us to have revival in our life, what it looks like to have a vibrant church, what it looks like. And the reason we're doing a, a vision offering for 2024 at the end of the day, the reason that we give, that we believe, I mean, these gates are really the life that God calls us to live. We looked last week at the sheep gate. It started with the sheep gate, the first gate. It's the cross, it's salvation. The whole thing ends with that same gate uh, with something else attached to it. And we're gonna look at that today. So we looked at the cross, we looked at the fish gate, that was kind of a gate that it really is, is about us witnessing, us sharing the gospel. Uh, there's quotes that I've heard from ancient um, theologians and different people that said, you know, share the gospel uh, as, all, as much as you can and use words if you have to. That's not really, the, that's not the gospel, that's not really the Bible. That's a great sentiment, it's like live real good and, and be godly and be holy and do good deeds. That's why we do good deeds, yes, we do that, but we also open our mouth up and share the gospel. We also tell people, about the hope that we have in a wicked world. You know what I'm saying? So, so like it's both. So we have to get the witness of, of the word back out, sharing the faith. And then we talked about walking, the old gate, like walking in the old ways, the ancient ways. And it might not be the most relevant ways that, that culture thinks, but the ways of God that we would get back into saying, you know, I want to walk in God's paths, not my own path, not the way the world does it, but what God says. And so we're going to jump into the fourth gate this week. There's a large gap between the old gate and, and I'm going to be very teachy today so you can take notes and, and just bear with me. Uh, and so, and so this, this, this fourth gate is called the valley gate. There's the, this long distance between the old gate, walking with God, and then the valley gate. How many of you know um, that this, this distance, a lot of times people call the honeymoon kind of phase of your Christian walk. How many of you got saved and like everything was just amazing? Like for the first, you know, it's like for, I don't know how long it was for you, but you, you ask God to do things and like he shows up in your room. Like think, oh, there you are, Jesus. That's amazing. You know, and that, there's this amazing time. And then, and then inevitably, we get to this gate called the valley gate. And the valley gate really symbolizes um, the, the, the tests and the trials and the things that you and I go through. And it's the, it's the things that sometimes make us want to quit or turn around. It's where we have a lot of personal growth when we get to the valley. I don't know what kind of valley you're in right now, but there, a lot of times these, these are 
also aren't one-time gates that we walk through. These are continual things that we go through throughout our life. And so uh, the valley is where things grow. The valley is where your faith gets stronger. The valley uh, is where the, the soil of your spirituality is fertile. It's where God begins to do some things in your heart and life. On the mountaintop, we all want mountaintop experiences. On the mountaintop, there's nothing grows on the mountaintop. The mountaintop is, is hardened soil. It's, it's above, a, above a tree line. Nothing grows up there. It's a great experience. It's a great view. It's amazing. And we love mountaintop experiences. But life, a lot of times, where we grow is down in the valley where we're tr- tested and tried. And so I want to encourage you, like if you're in a valley right now, God's God of the valley. God is God of what you're facing. And, and usually we're tempted to walk away and quit. And I wrote it down this way. The valley is always fruitful if we remain faithful. There'll be fruit in your life if you just don't run, like if you allow God to grow some stuff. This is the place that pride is taken out of our life. It's the place that self-reliance is removed from our life. And it's the place, this isn't popular, it's the place self-esteem is removed from our life. (laughs) We all want self-esteem. But I need Jesus' esteem. I need biblical esteem. I need Holy Ghost esteem. I don't need somebody to build myself up. I need somebody to build the Holy Spirit up inside me. I need the Spirit of God to build me up. I'm not saying we don't have confidence or anything like that. We don't walk around beat up. No, but I'm just talking about self-esteem is where I rely on myself and think highly of myself. The Bible says, don't think highly of yourself. Think uh, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. And so the valley is where we say, okay, I'm going to be dependent on him. Here's some valleys we go through. We walk through the valley of sin. So at the Dead Sea, there was a valley called the Valley of Sin, and many believe it was near Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was like this quicksand. And enemy armies would chase God's people and other armies into this valley to get them bogged down in the quicksand. Satan is always chasing you and I into the Valley of Sin, trying to chase us into this quicksand so he can get us actually sitting ducks in this miry clay and take us out. Here's the good news. Jesus lifted David up out of the miry clay. Psalm 40, verse one, he says, he took me up out of the miry clay, up out of the horrible pit. One one translation says, out of the cistern, that God took him out of the cistern. It actually is translated a room of echoes. Some of you are, are in a room of echoes that God wants to pull you out of. What's an echo? It's a noise from your past that isn't real now. You, you keep hearing something about something you walked through or something that you were blamed for, something that you did, and the enemy keeps echoing to you. And God says, I can pull you up out of that pit, up out of that horrible place, up out of that miry clay, and set your feet upon a rock. I need God to bring me through that. You, you come through the valley of giants. David had to walk through the valley of giants. And, and it's, it was the valley of Eschol. It's where he actually faced, or the valley of Elah. It's where he faced Goliath. You and I are going to face giants. You're going to face something too big for you to defeat by yourself. This is the valley where all of God's kids, all of Israel army said, he's too big for us to fight. You and I will walk through a valley where you will feel and I will feel this is too big for me to handle. This is too big for me to fight. And the way we actually trust God in that moment, the valley in that moment when we begin to grow and trust God and go, you know what? I can't defeat this. I can't beat this without God. I'm dependent on God. That's how actually God gives promotion into our life. God will always use a giant to give you promotion. You're like, why am I facing all this stuff? Promotions around the corner. Why am I dealing with this person? Why am I dealing with that? Why, do I ha- why are we going through that? Promotion is on the way if you trust God the right way. And then the third valley you'll go through, there's a lot of valleys, but you'll go through the valley of decision. There was a valley called the Valley of Escal that God's kids had to go through when they were going into the promised land. Remember God said, hey, this is a promised land, milk and honey, a good land. I've got it for you. I've got all this. And, they, and he sent out 12 spies. The 12 spies went through the Valley of Eschol. It was translated Valley of Decision. 
that literally you're going you're gonna to have to go through a valley of decision. Are you going to trust God this year? Are you going to trust God in the 2024 election? Are you going to trust God with, with, with the rest of 2023? Are we going to trust God with whatever's coming down the pike? For the, are we, are we going to say, you know what, I can't, I won't, God, I don't have enough strength. No, no, no. There's a valley of decision for you and I every single day that we walk with God, whether we're parenting or running a business or leading a classroom or, or doing government, whatever it might be that we're doing, you have to decide in this valley, I'm going to trust what God has said. I'm not going to be one of the 10 spies that says we can't, we're small. I'm going to be one of the two that says, you know what, God's with us and we can take this territory. We can take this land. We can move forward. And here's the deal. The 10, because of the 10, because they didn't trust God in the valley of decision, a whole entire generation had to wander for 40 years. I'm telling you, like the decisions that you're going to have to make in this valley will affect how future generations walk or don't walk with God, how they wander or walk with God. And so you and I have to be very careful to hear God and make decisions in these valleys that will impact our future. God is the God of the valley. I would say to some of you, stop trying to rescue your children from the valley. The valley is where we meet God. Stop trying to rescue your spouse from the valley. Stop trying to rescue your loved ones from their testimony. We don't want them to go through pain, but usually in those spots, it's where they bend their knee and begin to actually allow God to be the one they depend upon for everything about their life. I'm dependent on the rock of my salvation. That's the valley gate. The fifth gate is the dung gate. Everybody say dung. <laughs> This is the dung gate. It's, it talks about being the refuse gate, refuse gate. This is the gate that all of the trash and in Jerusalem and all the refuse and all the rubbish and garbage and all the waste of the city would go out of this gate. And, and they would actually burn it outside of that gate. Jesus, when he refers to Gehenna or the lake of fire or the worm that doesn't die and the fire that doesn't quench, he's actually looking out of this gate. This is the gate because there's a burning trash fire down there and it's just disgusting. It's being burned. Jesus talks about that's what hell's going to be like. That's the lake. And, and so he makes reference to that. It wasn't just some odd reference. He's actually referring to that, that picture. This is the place that we can actually take our rubbish, take our junk, take the crap in our life, the, the dung of our life and put it out of this gate. And here's the reality. Most of us didn't know that God had this gate. And so we walk around hiding stuff. We walk around ashamed. We walk around covering stuff because we think there's no place to take it. I'm encouraged there's a dung gate. I'm, I mean, see, the Satan wants to use the stuff and the junk and the stank in our life to accuse us, but God actually gave us a place to take it when there's a door in the kingdom. We can actually remove it and get rid of it. The story of Balaam and Balak, do y'all know that story? I didn't share this first service, but, but Balaam wanted, wanted, Balak wanted to curse God's people. And so he hired a sorcerer named Balaam. And so Balaam came to curse him and he couldn't. Every time he tried to curse God's people, he would bless them. And Balak got really upset. He's like, you keep blessing him. And then the third time, Balaam, Balak says this, let me bring you over to this other mountain peak and look at God's people from this view. This is what happened. And it was from the view, if you read it in Numbers, it was from the wasteland. So what Balak did was took Balaam, the sorcerer, got him onto a peak where he actually saw the last tribe, the very, the wasteland tribe, because, you know, they would, they were smart. They would put all the trash and rubbish at the end of the, of the train. They didn't carry all that junk all along the midst of 2 million people. There was so much, so a lot of, a lot of porta potties. Come on, somebody. And so they, they would, they would have that at the end. And so this, this guy wanted them to curse God's people from the viewpoint of all the junk in their life. And, and, and Balaam can't, he actually blesses them again. I, the point is, if heaven has blessed you, hell can't curse you. 
if the blessing of God's in your life, it doesn't matter the trash, the junk, the nastiness. We all, we all have junk in our life. And this is the picture of a surrendered Christian actually saying, God, I trust you enough to clean me and to deal with me and to let this stuff get out of me. I'm going to take this to the gate. Look at somebody say, take it to the gate. Take it to the gate. I didn't know I had a gate. Man, I got a gate. There's only one dude mentioned in this text that's working on this gate. Because most people won't be surrendered like this. Most people won't allow God to deal with them in this way and won't allow God to fully uh, walk with them and surrender. It's like my old 120-pound dog. Whenever I whispered the word water, that sucker would run. I had, to, I had to get that dog in a little swimming pool. I had a little plastic pool. I would get in there. I would have to hold her collar. I would spray her down. She's just frozen, 120 pounds, just looking at me, just waiting to escape. I would, I would put my swim, finally I just put my swimsuit on. My, I used to try to bathe her from a distance. I used to not want to get wet. I used to think I could, I would get so angry because I'm getting wet too. I finally just realized I got to get in this mess with her and I'd just get in there and I'd get nasty and I'd be like laughing at her and I'd be bathing her and I'm nasty and she's that. And, and, and that's how we did it. Some of y'all, when God says, I want to clean you up, you get so worried and so fearful. You want to run at the whisper of water. God's saying, I want to clean you up. I want you to deal with some stuff in your life. And the cool thing is that God gets in the mess with you. He doesn't clean me from a distance. So much so he nailed himself to a tree to hold himself in my mess. So much so he trapped himself in my mess with nails so that he couldn't run when he wanted to. He actually pinned himself into my mess. Man, I'm so thankful that I got a place to take my junk. The next gate is the fountain gate. Y'all with me? The fountain gate, a picture of the Holy Spirit life. It's just that you and I, we let God do his work in us, and then we need the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We need the Spirit-filled life that God fills us with his Spirit, and it's the only way to walk this stuff out. Christianity isn't hard. It's impossible. It's impossible without the Spirit of God. It's all supernatural. It's not our own self-help religion. It's the Holy Spirit. John 4.14 says it this way, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him He'll never thirst again, but the water that I shall give him will become a fountain in him. The fountain gate will fountain of water springing up into him everlasting life. John 7, 37 says it this way. On the last day, the great day of the feast, I love Jesus stood up on the last day. After they had partied, after they had had celebration, after they'd had their fill, he stands up and says, if anybody thirsts, I know you're still thirsty. I know none of that satisfied you. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke these things concerning the spirit who's, dwell, who's believing in him, would, who those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He's talking about you and I get the Holy Spirit, a fountain of life inside of us to serve God with. One translation says that you have rivers of living water in here. There's rivers, not a trickle, not a stream, that you have forceful rivers of life inside of you. So often we don't tap into that and let the power of God flow through us. And you and I need a spirit-filled life. Here's some things that happen when we don't have the spirit-filled life and we're not allowing the spirit to flow. You know, you can dam up the spirit. Sometimes we have to remove some stuff and let the spirit of God flow. When we, when we, when we dam up the spirit or we don't have that spirit-filled life, here, here's what happens. God's word will be lifeless. You're like, what do you mean God's word is lifeless? The Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Let me say it this way. There's been times in my life I've been dead right and dead wrong at the same time. Because the letter kills. Anybody ever killed you with the Bible? <laughs> Sometimes 
we use the Bible, right? This letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so God wants to breathe on the word and the Holy Spirit wants to breathe on the word and actually begin to give us life from the book and not just letter of the law. Does that make sense? It's the only book you can read where the author's present, actually breathing on you at the same time and breathing onto it at the same time and interpreting it and speaking it to you. So without that, the word actually becomes lifeless. Without the Holy Spirit, our worship becomes aimless. Our worship becomes aimless. The Holy Spirit's the one that shows us why we should lift our hands. Holy Spirit shows us what we've been forgiven of through Jesus. Holy Spirit shows us every aspect and every avenue of Jesus forever, every angle of the eternal, infinite God. Holy Spirit keeps showing us pieces of him that are worthy to be praised and worshiped. And without the Holy Spirit showing us who Jesus is, we're just worshiping a dead religion. Without the Holy Spirit making that alive to you and I every day, the moments when you drive in your car and you hear something, you begin to weep. The moment you see a video and you begin to cry, the moment you hear a song note and it begins to move, you read a verse and it begins to hit you and comes alive. That's the Holy Spirit. And I don't want aimless worship. I want to know why I'm worshiping. And then the Holy Spirit shows me Jesus and then Jesus shows me the Father and now my worship is on target. I would much rather have a guide than a map. <laughs> We got the, many people have the map. That's the book. That's the Bible. We got the map, but without a guide, come on, you put me in the Smokies right now and tell me to go hike and give me a map. I'm still dying. <laughs> I'll probably survive three days. You know, I don't care about a map. I, I need, I need a guide. I need somebody that's walked the trails, that knows the path, that knows the markings, that knows where to go, that knows where not to go, knows what I should look for, know how to get water, how to worship. Oh God, I need you. Holy spirit. I don't want my worship to be aimless. And the last one, if we don't, don't have a spirit filled life, our witness would be powerless. We wouldn't have any power. The Bible says that Jesus didn't even do any ministry or miracles until the Holy Spirit came on him. All the apostles went and waited in Acts chapter one, eight, nine for power to come on them so they could receive power and be a witness. You and I have the ability to receive dynamite, atmospheric changing power through the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for him. We need to cry out to him. We need to keep asking those that are desperate for the spirit, ask for the Holy Spirit. I don't want a powerless life. And the only reason I have any power in my life is because the Holy Spirit is on my life. And you can ask for that same thing. The Bible says you shall receive power. Listen to me. The church has been great resistors, <laughs> not great receivers. The Bible says you shall receive. You don't earn it. You, you don't work for it. You just run and put your hands up. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and you receive power from the Lord, but there is a posture to receive. And God says that we need to be filled with his power. The next gate is the water gate. We go from the fountain gate to the water gate, the water gate. This symbolizes the word of God. It's the gate. That's the word. I love it, man. The, the word has to get back to the center place of our life. The word of God. I'm going to stick for a minute on this. It's so important that you and I, I don't know what your Bible reading is like. I don't know what your daily walk in the word is like. And I, I, yeah, I know mine some days is not as good as I want it to be. And some days I just get a little quick snack and some days I get a whole book. Right. But, but like the, I got to make a decision. Like I've got to put the word of God first and foremost, back in front of my life. When they built this gate, some amazing facts about this, this gate is the only gate that didn't need rebuilt. And it's the only gate that didn't need repaired. Come on, the word of God. He says it's forever settled in heaven. It's inspired by God. It's fully complete. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Nations and peoples have been trying to stamp it out for decades, but they can't. It's the only, now it had to be recentered. 
It had to be put back in place, but it didn't need rebuilt or repaired. Everything else needed to be rebuilt, repaired. The word of God stands on its own in your life and in my life. And the people that were actually building this, it called them dwellers at the gate. They're no, they were dwellers, that they were actually gate dwellers, water gate dwellers. God's saying his church, his people going into 2024, it's going to be crazy in 2024. Y'all know that. I'm trying to get you ready because it's going to be nuts and you've got to get in the word. You better know what you believe and why you believe it. And we need to dwell in the book, like dwell at the water gate, like be dwelling there. I need that in my life. Their names were actually interpreted, dedicated and anointed. When you dwell in the book, when you dwell in the water, you're going to be dedicated to that. You're going to be anointed with the power of God on your life to navigate 2024 in a powerful way. I need that on my life. I got to dwell in the book. I need life. I need his word. It's so important. It's so important. Let me, let me say this to you. It's more important than any experience that you can have with God. And what I mean by that is we're, we're I don't like to put titles on it, but we're a spirit-filled, charismatic church. Now, a lot of you probably had all types of different thought patterns when I said that word charismatic. The word charismatic just means gifted. It just means gifts. Charis is grace gifts. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You don't see everybody running around out of order. We're not swinging from chandeliers. We're not jumping on, on speakers. We're not climbing the poles. Okay, so we all hear charismatic. You're like, they're climbing poles after church. No, we're not. It just means we believe in the gifts. <laughs> Believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But hear me, I'm gonna read a passage. This is probably one of the most important passages of Scripture you can get as a charismatic believer in the gifts and the fullness of God. Because I want all the experiences. I've had supernatural experiences. I've, had, I've heard one time the audible voice of God speak to me. One time in my life. I've, I've seen things, I've heard things, I've seen miracles, I've seen it all. I've seen all that. I've seen demons come out of people all across the nations. I've been, seen people baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've seen miracle upon miracle happen. But Peter says this in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. He says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And now he tells you where. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard, me, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, we heard when we were on the mountain of the holy mountain with him. What he's saying is this, that there was a day. Remember transfiguration, the mount? Peter, James, and John went up on the mountain. Jesus went up on the mountain. He was transfigured. This light came through him. He beamed like an angel of light. They looked at him. Oh, my God, look at his power. Look at his glory. Voice comes from heaven. This is my son. <laughs> I think it was like that. <laughs> Peter's like, this is amazing. Let's build a couple tents and camp out here. This is, what, this is all about it. And Jesus is like, no, we're not going to stay up here. Peter's giving commentary on that. He says... This voice came from heaven, verse 18. Now look at verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well to take heed as unto light that shineth in a dark place until the day and the day star arises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. What he's saying is that we were on the holy mountain with our best friends and God spoke from heaven and we saw Jesus transfigured and, and that was all amazing, but that can be interpreted in all different types of ways. But the scriptures, we have a more sure prophetic scripture. We have a more sure prophetic word than a private experience that you have with God on a mountain somewhere. This cannot be interpreted by any private interpretation. It's interpreted what it's interpreted by the Holy Spirit, God and his word. But your experiences can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And that you have a more sure word when you open up the Bible than any experience that you want to have. I'm all for experiences, but this Bible better back up every experience that we have. 
And we're going to be a church of, of spirit and, and word. Galatians 3.8, this is beautiful. And the scripture, look at this verse. And the scripture, is this okay, everybody? And the scripture, capital S, capital S, capital S, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Wait a minute. There were no scriptures written when Abraham was alive. Moses wrote the scriptures 400 years later. But when Paul refers to this moment, he calls it capital S scripture. Jesus shows up and preaches the gospel to Abraham beforehand, and Paul calls it scripture. So that when you open your Bible, when you get at the water gate, you're actually getting face to face with a man named Jesus. You're not just getting into a book. You're getting into a man. You're getting face to face, and he's actually preaching the word of God to you. Oh man, my appointment with God, my appointment with the Bible will be a lot different every day if I know that Jesus is actually showing up in my room and preaching to me face to face. Paul calls it scripture. We're gonna love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All our heart and soul emotionally. We're gonna love God emotionally. I'm an emotional guy. Come on, everybody. I like to be emotional. We're gonna love God with our heart and soul, but we're gonna love God. But listen to me. We're going to love him emotionally, but we're going to love him with our mind intellectually. And we never get to love him with our strength unless we love him with our mind. What do I mean by that? You can't love him only emotionally and not intellectually and give your strength to him. Let me put it this way. I've been married to my wife for 22 years. Come on, we're going on 23 years. Is that right, baby? 23 in, in February. I know the date. 23. <laughs> 23 years. I know her, I know, I know her, her heart. I know her soul. I'm trying to continue to learn that. Come on to daily love. And we're learning. Come on, husbands. You can say, amen. You're learning their heart and soul daily. And then I'm trying to learn her mind minute by minute. Come on. We got to learn their minds, heart and soul, mind. And then, and then I, and then I can serve her with my strength. Um, I'm brave. I actually have shopped for clothes for my wife in the past. Yeah. Picked out good outfits. Haven't I, babe? I pick out some good outfits, don't I? I pick out some outfits. She's like, I've, I was like, kind of, I've shopped for shoes for my wife. One day, one day I went to Marty and Liz. Anybody been there? It's an amazing store. I went to Marty and Liz, walked in there. I was in the women's shoe aisle. These ladies were looking at me like I was crazy. They thought I was shopping for myself. I was like, I like pumps. They were a little concerned and I was like, I'm just kidding, ladies. I was like, I'm actually buying shoes for my wife. They said, God's sakes, don't do it. Don't. And I was like, oh, ladies, you doubt me? I was like, I got this. It's like, I know my wife. I know her preference. I know her mind. I know her heart. I know her style. I know her. This isn't nothing but leather held together by laces. This is football, ladies. This is football. <laughs> I got this. I bought her a pair of boots. She loved them. She wore them. Here's, here's why I could do that. Because I know her mind. I know her preferences. I know her heart. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. So I could serve her with my strength. I could go to a store, stand confident with my strength, and say, give me them pumps. I know what I'm shopping for, girl. You, you, you can't serve God with your strength unless you know his preferences, his mind, his heart, how he wants you to live, what he likes, what he doesn't like. You have to get to know his mind, and that's through the word. If you want to know his mind, if you want to know his will, you have to be in his word. And i got to be become a, a word dweller in a greater way in my own life, so I'm preaching to myself as well that I want to know your heart and your mind for my life, oh Lord. I want to hear you. I want to be a dweller. I want to go deep. You want to go deep? Read the word and do it. 
the water gate. The eighth gate is the horse gate. The horse gate, it's a symbol of war. It's a symbol of battle. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is prepared against the day of battle. Colossians 3, 15, our God is a God of war. You know that he's a mighty warrior. He won every battle, defeated every enemy. Colossians 3, 15, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, having disarmed, this is military terms. Listen, it's having disarmed principalities and powers. What are principalities and powers? Demonic forces, demonic, demonic demons and forces. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This is talking about Jesus on the cross. He triumphed over demons and principalities and powers, and then he made a public spectacle disarming them. What does this mean? This is a military term. It's used one time in the Bible, public spectacle. It's actually the term that, that happened when, when General MacArthur disarmed the Japanese generals and the Japanese leaders on the aircraft carrier after we won World War II that way. What happens is this general... MacArthur sat down on this aircraft carrier and took all the Japanese, all of the soldiers, all the generals, all the high-ranking officials, and he lined them out, and there were pieces of paper in front of each of them. You can go look it up. You can watch this ceremony. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. He lined them all out, and then he took the main general, and he had him sign over a treaty. He had him sign over a surrender, not a treaty, a surrender, and what it was saying was this general was surrendering all territories that he was in charge of to McCarthy and his power, and then... He took every officer, the officers, and he deranked them. And they stripped the bars and the ranks and the medals off of each one of them. Paul is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead. He took actually the ancient saints of old up out from Sheol, out from under the earth because heaven wasn't opened yet. He led them into the third heaven before the throne room of God. He got into outer space somewhere. He took all of Satan and all of his major forces and all of his demonic powers and all of his principalities. He lined them up. He put paper in front of them. He made them sign over every territory that they control over to his power. And he deranked them publicly, making a public spectacle of them. Meaning that depression has been signed over to Jesus, that addiction has been signed over to Jesus, that hatred has been signed over to Jesus, that, that envy has been signed over to Jesus, that division has been signed over to Jesus. That all those areas that Satan thinks he has authority, it's been signed over to the, the God of all the universe to have power and authority. And you and I are called to be warriors. We're also worshipers, so it gets confusing. David was a worshiper. Come on, you were preaching. We were talking at an encounter night. It's time to just put the war, those shields down sometimes and the weapons down and just worship. Yes. It's time to pick up the sword sometimes and, and just battle. Yes. David was writing psalms and songs. He's like, oh, Lord, you're the lily of the valley. You're beautiful in all your splendor. Look at the mountains. Smite my enemies and crush their faces to dust, oh, God. In like one chapter, <laughs> like this is like three verses later. I'm confused. I understand it. I love movies. I love Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon, and I will binge watch John Wick. Come on, I understand it. I'm a worshiper in my heart and a warrior in my mind. You know, I just there's this tension in the. The reality is that with God and with what we're called to, we're at the war gate. We're at the horse gate. Like you and I are called to be trained and. Receive the tools and the power of God's word to go out and fight the enemies of, of God. Not each other, the enemies of God. Powers and principalities that have already be, been dethroned and, and, and de, deranked. You already have all the authority. So we're at the horse gate. The next gate is the ninth gate. It's a beautiful gate. It's the east gate. I'm so thankful for the east gate. It's the gate that symbolizes Jesus' return. He's going to come back one day. 
That gate's actually closed until he returns. In Ezekiel, it talks about the glory departed through that gate and the glory returns to that gate. That literally, the glory of God's gonna touch this planet again, that God's presence is gonna come down, not through the spirit, but naturally, in the natural. Jesus, a man, the God-man's gonna set his feet on this planet again. He's gonna return. The Bible says for us to encourage each other with these words that he will return. He's gonna set up a government on this planet. He'll set up a throne and a government, and there's encouragement that you and I have the hope and the, and the truth of God's return. John 14, one through three says it this way. Let, take this into your heart. Let not your heart be troubled. I don't know what trouble you're in right now. I don't know what heart trouble you have right now. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. Now listen to this. Here's why you don't need to be troubled. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may also be. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you know that 99% of your heart trouble comes from holding on to this planet too tightly? Most of your heart trouble comes from you not realizing you're just a tourist. That we're just passing through, that he's coming again and he's preparing a place and he's gonna take us to where he is, that this is not our home, this is not our destination, this is not our final stop in problems. This is not, and whenever you're facing, whenever you're facing, you're like, you know what, he's gonna come again, he's gonna come, he's preparing a place for me. Whatever problem you're facing, you need to just say that from now on. If you're in a problem, you're like, he's preparing something. He's preparing a place. He's preparing. And it just brings me encouragement. I hope you today that your troubles don't have to be troubles that way because he's preparing. He's coming back again. I want to be prepared. And the last gate, and this is really the gate that's so big. It's the well done gate. It's the McFod gate or McFod. It's attached to the sheep gate. We started with Jesus. We ended with Jesus. And this gate is called the gate of review or the gate of inspection. So this is the gate where all the elders would meet and all the people would bring their cases and their concerns and the elders would pass judgment and give, give sentences and cases and decide amongst the people at this gate. This is a picture of the, the Bema seat of Christ when we meet Jesus face to face. This is a picture that you and I will actually stand before Jesus and we'll be inspected. That all excuses will be taken away, that we'll hear the well done or He'll inspect our motives, our reasons, why we served, who we served, what we served, the reasons we served. And it's okay, it's scary, but it's awesome also that we get rewards and we get revealed and we live for this. Like, like this is what we live for. And if you don't, I wanna encourage you as your pastor, this is what we live for. This is why in a minute you're gonna see a video about life changing people. That's why we do a Christmas mall. This is why we serve because there's people in a valley and there's people that need the word. And there's people that are in battles. And there's, there's just, we serve because of this gate one day where we'll stand before Jesus and we get to hear, well done, enter into my rest. What I've prepared for you. Well done. Well done. Second Corinthians 5.10 says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. Can I tell you that this is not a dress rehearsal? That we must receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans 14, 10 through 12. Now hear me, this is not about heaven and hell. So if you're a Christian, and you're a believer, this is not a scare tactic about hell or any of that stuff. This is about us standing before our savior Jesus as a Christian and he looks into our heart and looks at our life and says, okay, well done. Or you could have used some work there. <laughs> but it's not a judgment unto life and death. Does that make sense? Romans 14, 10 through 12. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The older I get, the scarier this gets. 
and, in, and scary in a good way. Like it motivates me to check my heart and serve and to figure out why and to give my life for the right things. First Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. He first tries every man's work of what sort it is and we receive a reward or we suffer loss. So God comes when we stand before him and before we hear the well done, he touches our works with fire. The Bible says that some of our works, our faith is as precious gold refined by fire. Faith, when you put fire to gold, what happens? It's refined, but it doesn't lose value. It just changes form. Some of our works are gonna be gold, precious gems and stones. Some of our works are wood, hay and stubble. What are wood, hay and stubble? Things on top of the ground, things that are seen, things that are done for the wrong motive. When the fire touches wood, hay and stubble, it's burnt up, it loses all value. The gold and the precious gems and stones are under the ground, things we mine out, things we dig for, things we work for, things we get down into the things of God with to, to let God do that work in our heart and our life. And just as we walk through these gates, we're gonna see a video here in a second. And I just wanna say to you, like, we're gonna do an offering here in a minute. And I'm pumped about 2024 and I'm excited, but I just want you to know, like, the reason we do all this is because we're gonna walk these gates the rest of our life and we're gonna see Jesus face to face one day and we love people and he loves people and God's doing miracles in this church and I think he has 2024 settled. Check out this video real quick. I think we've been together for 11 years. 12. 12. <laughs> 12. Um, engaged for Eight, seven. seven. <laughs> Don't judge us. Seven. Um, and always planned on getting married quickly and it never happened. And one th one year moved into the next, into the next. Uh, and not like we never wanted to, but there was always an excuse <laughs> or something holding us back. Money, and, anything, you know. Um, and looking back on it, most of it is probably just the enemy trying to keep us apart from doing what we should do and what God wanted us to do. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we moved here and then found Transformation, Transformation Church and came here. Um, that, you know, a year, year and a half after being here. That Jamie we, was pushing us. That we, you gotta do this. We finally, we no. finally did it. And we didn't do it for, for anybody else because they pushed us to do it. No. We did it because we knew that's what God wanted. and. God gave us that nudge from the people here yeah. at Transformation. The community that um, this church has brought to not just Josiah and I, but to our entire family that moved over here has been far what we could ever imagine. Becoming close to the people here and becoming close to our pastors, it's been a true, true, true blessing. We are so incredibly grateful that Pastor Jamie and Pastor Sandra got to marry us just a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, our, our kids, our, our daughter, but also our niece and nephew love it here. It's just been an, an absolute blessing to find this church and be a part of it and actually become a part of it, the way it runs and serving it. And I just... Family. And it, it's one big family. The superintendent came in one day and he said, hey, my son's gonna come for summer help. And uh, I want you guys to teach him everything you know. So I did what I could. And then the day came, we had to go up and put hangers and 
pipe in the up in the ceiling. And it was like 100 degrees that day. After lunch, I went up and uh, just super hot. You know how you, when you get hot, you get a little temperamental. And I looked down, and this guy was sitting on a toolbox, physically twiddling his thumbs. And uh, I come unglued. And uh, I said things that I shouldn't have, but I, I cussed him. I said, what would happen if your dad came in here and saw me sitting on a toolbox? I said, we'd be fired, so how about you have some respect and get off of your tool, get off that toolbox and help us out? And I was mad for a couple of weeks past that. Uh, one day I was driving into work, and back then, I, I don't know, I was just flipping through the station and, and landed on Caleb, and there was a song, and I started listening to it, and I guess, I guess you could say it was the Holy Spirit. I, I had to pull over on the side of the road because I was crying so hard. I just got to thinking, what would happen if my father come down right now and sees me sitting on my toolbox? So here I am at Transformation Church. I see you guys walking in on Sundays and I shake your hands, try to make you smile. I support my men's group and I support this church. But get off your toolbox. I was coming out of a very difficult period of life. Um, I had had a fairly devastating divorce, and um, I think it was safe to say I was in a very, very severe depression. And uh, I think that one one day, um, I work in software and I work from home, and I, I heard this song, and it just kept repeating and repeating. I thought something was wrong with my computer, frankly. Um, but this song had one of the funkiest bass lines I've ever heard in my life. And then before you know it, I had ordered this cheap bass offline, and I'm like, okay, you know, where is this gonna go, you know? Little did I know that, you know, God was preparing me, you know, in, in this dark season of my life, he was preparing me to um, have another adventure, have another season. I came to this church, and the one day that I came here, I realized that there was no bass player here. I was like, I wonder what it would be like, you know, to make worship, you know, a part of my life. I met uh, Pastor Justin and, and he just welcomed me with open arms. And um, being here, um, expressing myself in worship, expressing myself in rhythm, all of those things are just super important to me. And, these seasons of my life, God has always had something for me. It's always been another level he's preparing me for. And he meticulously took his time to prepare me for this opportunity. And there's nothing that I love more than coming here early, okay, early on a Sunday and preparing for worship, um, to worship with, you know, the people in this in this house of God. It's, it's a blessing, you know, and th these are the things that can happen when you, you listen to God's voice and you heed his calling. The only reason I am here today is because God set these steps in motion for me to be here with this great worship family, with this great worship team, and uh, with the infrastructure to um, live out God's calling that he's had for me. So I'm, I'm super thankful. My story isn't a long one. You know, it's a backslidden Christian, compromising Christian story, uh, not really understanding the, the, the power of Christ. And 
I found myself in the one of the darkest uh, places of my life, um, in, in the valley. I was so oppressed um, by the decisions that I made in my life. And I started coming and I remember uh, Pastor Jamie saying, you know, just all these one-liners, um, fear is focusing on the wrong thing. And I was going through so much fear and depression. And um, then all of a sudden, Jesus was there and he broke that stuff off of me. And every week I came back and I got prayed for, I listened, I took notes, and it has changed my life and not just my life, but the people in my life around me. I've seen change more and more every week that I've come here. It's all about going all in. We have a God that is all about us, but he's not about compromise. And when you go all in and you get involved, he can change things. Before I came to Transformation Church, I was doing, I was striving for popularity. I was looking for the, the worldly things. I was trying to find um, fulfillment in the worldly things. Through the many people here and the opportunities that I've been given, I've been able to grow tremendously through the church and the surrounding that I've that I've been placed in. I've, I've been baptized here. I've been in an internship and the internship really helped me personally because I was able to um, see what it looks like to work for the Lord and serve the Lord. I've learned what it's like to chase the Lord and I've seen the people around me and how they worship and how they do things towards the Lord and it's helped me grow tremendously through the internship, I really felt like I had my call to ministry in the life that I've been given. I feel like I've been given the calling to go and serve others as much as I've been given. I, I've realized that the worldly things can't satisfy me, but um, God can. And through the environment at this church, I've learned that um, God is the one that we should be chasing after, that God is um, who we should be seeking every day of our lives. I realize now that none of that would have been possible without, if I didn't come to this church and if I didn't find my way into Transformation Church. change happen every week. Our kids and students are encountering God through fun and relevant teachings every Sunday and Wednesday. We're seeing miracle after miracle through our local outreach programs like Serve Knox Saturday. Throughout the week, our church meets in homes, parks, hiking trails, and coffee shops to pray for each other and to grow together in Christ. We've witnessed an incredible harvest this year with people getting baptized and every single week, people are deciding to make a fresh start with God. Because of your vision, passion, faith, generosity, obedience, and sacrifice, I'm a miracle. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. Wow, come on.
That's why we do what we do. Come on, can you stand to your feet and let's give Jesus a little praise real quick for that miracle. Come on, let's give him a praise. Come on, let's just worship him right now. Just give him a little praise right now. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the miracle of life change. Thank you that you changed my life, oh Lord. And you're, here, you're changing lives to come this next year, Lord. We're going to worship here in a second. And maybe if you take that envelope that's in your seat right now. We've been praying about this for about a month. And uh, first service, we had people come down and bring their offering for the next year. And let me just be, uh, kind of gives you some clarity. Maybe you can come as a couple, as a family, or as an individual, whatever you'd like to do in a minute, we're going to go into a worship song. And this is worship. And we're believing God for this next year. And I believe God, as you participate, I'd ask that we all do something. And you might not have the, the actual offering today, but you can commit to this next year, what that looks like, or you can make a commitment in here. Just, we commit to something and there's power and unity in that. And I just think the power of God's going to show up for this house and not just for the house, for your house. The Bible promises as you sow into the soil that God's going to open up windows for your house also so that we can make a difference across the planet. And so let me pray over it. If you maybe have yours, grab it in your hand and we'll pray over it. Or if you're praying about it right now, let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much for just blessing us. You said we're blessed to be a blessing. You said our cup runs over, God. Lord, we want to see more lives come to you. We want to see those that are in the valley of decision make decisions for you. We want to see those that are in the valley of sin come out of it. We want to see those that are fighting giants, Lord, be, be healed and given hope and be empowered as warriors for your, for your kingdom, oh God. We want to see families saved and young people making decisions and dedicating their life to you that would change the trajectory of their whole future. We want to see moms and dads reconcile and we want to see uh, people fed that are hungry, God. We want to see the prisoners set free. We want to see the joy given to those that mourn or those that sit in ashes. We want to see depression flee from our midst. We want to see healing and miracles, God. We believe your word and we believe you're still working, God. We thank you, Lord, that everything that we dedicate, Lord, is for you. That one day, Lord, we'll stand before you. This isn't for us, it's for you. Would you help us be followers of you? Lord, thank you for the miracles that are yet to come. Thank you for a house of miracles. We give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's praise God. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.